Welcome to the first episode of our new weekly podcast with Kate Nichols, UK Hospitality CEO. I'm Penilla Thompson from the UK Hospitality Comms team, and I'll be sitting down with Kate and, from time to time, a few guest speakers to see what UK Hospitality has been working on recently. Kate, it has been an extremely busy time for you, so thank you for taking some time out to talk to me on this podcast. Well, thanks very much. I think it's a great opportunity for us to start a more regular dialogue and, and to give people an opportunity on a weekly basis to send any queries, questions or topics that they would like us to cover. And hopefully we can make sure that we've got an informative uh, bite sized chunk of, of, uh, of uh, data for you to download, uh, insight and information and intelligence to share. And hopefully it'll, it'll be a quick way of, of giving you an update on our activities. And now, recently we had the announcement from Boris Johnson on step four, and like many, we're all now looking towards Freedom Day, as it's been coined. So this would be the 19th of July for England, the 9th of August for Scotland, and I believe it's still yet to be determined in Wales. Um, Why are these dates so important? Well, I think these are so important because you, you're right about it being Freedom Day. And I think we still need a lot of work done to make sure that it is Freedom Day in reality rather than just in rhetoric. Um, the dates are important because obviously up until the, t- the point that we get to that d- date, um, our businesses don't make a profit. So I think, you know, we're still on life support. We're still struggling and we still have businesses that are um, unviable. And of course, for, for about a quarter of hospitality businesses, including particularly nightclubs, music venues, conference and banqueting, events venues um, and and some of our weddings, um, they won't have been able to open. So a a quarter of hospitality venues closed until the 19th of of July in in England. Uh, And again, similar proportions in in Scotland. So so really, it's the first point at which we can start to go cash positive and start to think uh, proactively about rebuilding and recovery. Um, And I I think from that point of view, it's vital that we don't have anything that stops it being freedom in reality. So that's why we're continuing to focus on staff shortages um, and particularly test and trace pings and the self-isolation requirements there, because there's no point in in replacing legal restrictions with either advice and guidance that local authorities interpret so strictly that we are stuck with the same kind of restrictions or that you can open, but you can't trade because your suppliers are not able to provide for you, which is why the announcements about road hauliers are so important and why we're working with the supply chain, or or equally that you don't have the staff to to fill the the venues. So we need to make sure that those dates are Freedom Day in reality. But it's also symbolically important from from a government point of view, because that is the point at which they start to look for a longer term strategy about the, the issues that they need to do the regulations and the fiscal environment that they need to have to support the industry in the longer term. So it's sort of a mindset point from which we, we shift from being life support, critical, potentially catastrophic um, failures towards recovery and rebuilding. Um, and it's important that we do that psychologically with the MPs themselves and the ministers because they don't save dying industries. So we do need to have that point at time at which we look as though we are moving forward towards recovery. Okay. And you mentioned, obviously, the businesses have been closed for quite some time. So how much debt has the industry accumulated? 
Um, it's somewhere between eight to 10 billion pounds. So you've got about two and a half billion pounds of rent debt that's accumulated. And we're still waiting to see what the government's solution will be um, in detail as, as to whether we've got a workable resolution to, on that rent debt issue or whether that continues to be a burden. You've got about six and a half billion pounds worth of government backed loans. And then you've got crown debt. So, so VAT, PAYE, um, lots of people have, have put in place bespoke arrangements to delay repayment of that for two years. But there's still a big chunk of debt that is falling due um, July, August time that, that, that could, could tack, uh, cripple the sector. Um, and, and that's before you look at the normal debt facilities that people had to, to help support their business going forward, mortgages and, and overdrafts, etc. So a huge mountain of debt. And I, I still think, you know, that the black swan of COVID is when we thought we would have lots of business failures and people would topple over. The measures that government put in place did help to protect more businesses than might have been anticipated. But you're going to have that grey rhinoceros of debt running alongside the sector for two years before it starts to be paid down and gets to more sustainable levels. And that's going to slow down the recovery. So, so that's why in talking to the government about the tourism recovery plan, the hospitality strategy that they're working on, we've put debt and um, uh, financial resilience uh, and, and fiscal resilience back at the heart of, of what we need to see from government um, going forward to support the recovery. Now, you mentioned some of the support that's going to be falling away. What, what exactly is the kind of support that's going to fall away um, when businesses are able to reopen after the step four? Well, of course, the first bit of support's already gone. So um, we we know that the business rates, 100% rate relief in England uh, slipped from the 1st of July, doesn't slip in, in the other devolved administrations, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland. But of course, the change in the business rate support in England has a knock-on effect on those devolved administrations. They don't get the money to support their businesses in the same way. So, so they've given 100% rate relief to their businesses right the way through until March. In England, it slips to 67%, but it's capped at £2 million. So, so that does mean that the largest businesses in our sector are going to be paying full business rates. And as I say, that does give an impact on, on what grant money is available. Um, then you've got furlough starting to taper away. The costs, the employer costs of furlough doubled this month. They'll double again next month and then it falls away in September. And then the VAT, the, the lower rate of VAT for tourism services goes up to 12.5% in September and then goes up to schedule to be 20% in March, which would be catastrophic. So I think looking ahead, you've got this immediate hump to get over with the, the reopening when, when the loans start to be repaid, the VAT starts to be repaid, those support measures taper. But actually the most important cliff edge is next March when we come back to full business rates and a full rate of VAT. And that's when you're going to see real business failures across the sector unless we can get government to change those policies. And what has UK Hospitality been doing to, to push that ahead? Well, obviously, our first and top priority has been around reopening and the support packages that are available now. But we are starting to have that longer term dialogue with ministers now. The tourism recovery plan has been published. That sets the government quite a tough target. Um, the government has pledged that it will meet uh, recovery. It will get tourism numbers both in, in value, volume uh, and revenue levels, both international and domestic, uh, back to pre-COVID levels one year ahead of external forecasts. 
Now that's going to be a tough ask. So that's bringing forward the recovery for domestic tourism uh, to, to pre-COVID levels of revenue by 2022 and international by 2023. So, so that gives us a strong platform to be talking to them about those measures, uh, particularly business rates and, and that lower rate of VAT. That's going to be essential. If you want to, to improve the balance of payments deficit, which is what they've also pledged to do. So that's get more British people taking more holidays in the UK. You need to keep us price competitive. And equally, if you want to recover international tourism, then you need to, to either spend a lot of money on marketing, but also you need to keep prices competitive. So a lower rate of VAT will deliver that recovery a year ahead of external forecasts um, if the Treasury uh, accepts that, that argument and, and buys into the delivery of the tourism recovery plan. So we are starting that conversation. We've had good conversations so far with DCMS, with Bayes, with DEFRA, and starting to work with the Treasury. Okay, and if we go back to Boris's announcement and the changes at step four, now what exactly will this mean for businesses? Well, what this will mean for businesses is you'll see all of the legislation falling away. So businesses will be back to including a, a section in their normal health and safety risk assessment that is COVID related. So you'll end all of the legal controls on face masks, um, on test and trace check-in, on, on table service, all of those things that we've got used to over the last year, they will fall away. Businesses will be required to carry out their own health and safety risk assessment to make sure that their workplaces are COVID secure. But it's primarily going to be around the measures that you would want to take yourself. Um, and, and having done a risk assessment, that would be uh, entirely voluntary, entirely at your discretion as to what measures you felt appropriate to put in place to protect your employees. And principally, that's going to be focused around sanitation, hygiene, ventilation, but equally uh, up to you if you wanted to, to, to retain your, your voluntary controls or any voluntary measures you want. So it is going to be a big change in, in the, the process. It means that any steps we want to take to protect workers will be, as I say, voluntary, uh, but they'll be based around the needs of the business, the specific bespoke concerns of the business and the activity that's taking place within it. It may mean that some people don't need to change their, their working practices at all, but just need to make explicit what they already do um, that, that keeps workers safe. So a lot of it can be taken from, from norovirus. A lot of it can be taken from uh, hygiene and sanitation and ventilation that's in the health and safety guidance at work. Um, and, and so it'd be a totally different approach approach. Um, and crucially, that will then be, um, as I say, a voluntary risk assessment rather than a legally enforced set of minimum regulations and minimum criteria. But all of those other pieces fall away. So no more checking in with a QR code, no more uh, requiring people to wear masks, no uh, policing um, table sizes unless you particularly want to. OK, now these changes, they won't actually be confirmed until the 12th of July. So why has government provided the detail now? Do you think it could be do, uh, to do with something around Sajid Javid being the new minister, health minister, or is it his approach to the restrictions? Um, I, I don't think it's anything particular to do with Sajid Javid, although he, his appointment certainly helped. 
um, because he has a, a, a different focus and ministers always bring their own focus to it and, and it gives them a chance to review things in the round. Um, but I do think what, what they were responding to was, was a, a plea from business to give more certainty and to give more time to comply. Um, they don't want to take the final decision until they see the data um, and, and the data will obviously influence the scope of the advice and guidance that comes forward. So it's an opportunity for them, for them to just have a pause and assess how things are going. But I don't think you'll see a fundamental change. I think this was more about businesses needing to have a greater degree of a greater notice period particularly those one in four that haven't opened yet it's, it's very difficult to stand up a business at such short notice so i think it was it was the government giving that, that early communication to the consumers as well about the, this change in approach because it is quite a big change it needs a lot of communication um and you know after 18 months of being told what to do and, and given instructions of what to do that are very black and white that's going to take a long time to for people to adjust to so i think it was starting the process early Okay, and from those businesses that have already reopened, we know that staffing has presented as a huge dilemma for many. What exactly is happening um, in that space? And is this like a UK wide issue? Um, it's not just a UK wide issue, it's a global issue. If I talk to my counterparts in the States or across Europe, they're all facing the same challenges. They all have slightly different nuances to it. In the States, it's partly because they, they had no choice. They had to let their staff go. And so they are recruiting from scratch. Um, in other parts of, of the world, they are in a similar position to, to the UK. You've got workers that are displaced. They're not in their normal place of work. They're subject to travel restrictions. A lot of people went home over the pandemic. Um, so, so the fact that you've got furlough in place it is clouding that issue for a lot of people. But staff shortages are something that, that everybody is reporting. And it's it's slightly inevitable if you think about it, because everybody's focused on the disruption to education and they focused on GCSEs and A-levels. But equally, if you've closed down businesses, all of your vocational training has also fallen away. You've got a hiatus. So you've got a, a delay and a break in the talent pipeline coming through because you don't have trained chefs coming out of chef schools and catering colleges. You don't have your apprentices coming through in the same way that you would. So you've got to restart all of that. Um, so it is common globally. It is hitting across the UK. It's slightly different in different markets um, across the UK. Uh, we're feeling it differently and there's different reasons behind the shortages um, as to which staff are, are missing, um, where the biggest shortages are and what the reasons are. There's some commonalities of approach that we know that there's an issue with chefs, there's an issue with door supervisors, there's an issue with delivery drivers that's affecting our supply chain. And then it's general front of house and, and it's sort of assistant manager and manager level where the, where the biggest shortages are. Um, so we've worked really quite hard um, with the D Department of Work and Pensions and Job Centre Plus. For the very first time, you've got a dedicated hospitality campaign to try and get uh, businesses uh, and, and um, uh, hospitality uh, promoted within uh, the, the Job Centre Plus activity. So they are doing a dedicated campaign with their work coaches to direct people to go to hospitality for a job and a career. And they're spelling out that it's not just the, the volume entry level jobs, it's at jobs at all levels, all skill levels, all qualification levels, and, and crucially um, explaining how hospitality can be a real meaningful career. And that's the first time we've had that positive proactive communication from DWP, and it's got support from the Minister Mims Davis. So we're really optimistic that that will make a difference. 
And then longer term, we're talking to the Home Office and our sponsoring departments in, in DEFRA and Bays and DCMS about the need to adjust and, and uh, get the immigration system more responsive. And also talking about short term temporary relaxations in visa controls to be able to get workers in and to allow people to return to the UK um, where they're subject to travel restrictions. Okay. And um, another area that's also compounding the staffing issue, I believe, is the test and trace app. How, what exactly is the impact um, that this is having on businesses? Well, this is a, a, a new area that's sort of exacerbating the existing labour shortages that we've got across the sector. Um, so you probably could have coped with one or the other, but, but not both. Um, and, and this has sort of really come to the fore in the last ten, two weeks. Uh, as more of the economy has reopened, people are, are being pinged by the app. So there's two sets of contact tracing that go on at the moment. One is, is, is manual contact tracing, uh, where somebody has come into, uh, somebody has a positive case, a positive diagnosis, they will go back and identify the close contact. And you will be contacted then by telephone, by email or SMS, or the business will be contacted to say there's been a case on the site. There's then the sort of ping from the, the app that the, the we use to, to check in with QR codes um, that is, is advisory, um, but it relates to potential exposure to a positive case rather than actual clear cut contact with a positive case. And it's, it's that app notification that is causing the biggest challenges for us because more and more people have this on their phones. It's Bluetooth technology enabled. The phones talk to each other and you're getting a lot of automatic pings. And so we, we got somewhere between 20 and 30 percent of staff at any one time at the moment are, are self-isolating. And that's exacerbating labour shortages that are already present. So we fear that that will only get worse. Now, clearly, there's a, um, the, the app falls away. There's no mandatory check in. Um, on the from the 19th of July. So there's the potential that that will ease from the 19th of July, but we just don't know at the present moment in time. The government's changed the policy. And if you're double vaccinated on the 16th of August, you don't have to self-isolate if you've come into contact with a positive case um, or you get a notification on the app. But obviously for many of our workers, 60% will be under 30. Um, they won't be double vaccinated by that date. So it is a headache at the moment as people are juggling staffing and rotors, and it's adding a huge amount of unpredictability into the business. Now, I know that UK Hospitality has been working on a lot of other things as well, um, aside from this, but um, unfortunately we have run out of time. So thank you for giving that overview. And I know that we can cover those other issues on our next podcast next week. So please do tune in for that. Kate, thank you very much for your time so far and for that overview. No problem at all. Thank you. And, and if people do want to hear a deep dive on a particular issue, then let Penilla or myself know and we can make sure we cover that on another podcast. But for now, thank you very much. You can find further details of what we have discussed on today's podcast on our website or the members portal. So make sure you head over there and have a look at the most recent briefing documents. Just type in ukhospitality.org.uk forward slash briefings. We do have guidance there on the test and trace points. So have a look at that if you have a moment and that is of concern to your business. We also have information on our work around staffing, including our 12-point employment plan, which is available on the website in the campaign section. Just select Hospitality Workforce from the drop-down menu. Now, next week, we are due to get confirmation from government on the easing of coronavirus restrictions in England, so we will see what that brings us. Until then, thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe so you can be alerted to when 
our next podcast is released head to ukhospitality.org.uk forward slash ukh podcast and if you do have any questions please email info at ukhospitality.org.uk with your questions and put uk hospitality podcast in the subject thanks again and see you next week